The financial views and opinions expressed by the host and guests on this program do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of 1077 The Bronx, Ryder University, or Certified Wealth Management and Investment. The material discussed is not designed to provide the listeners with individual financial, legal, or tax advice. It's time to grow your bank as 1077 LeBron presents Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional with certified wealth management and investment. Kurt and his team of financial guests will help you turn those singles into seas of green and plan your financial future accordingly. Now here's your money managing host for the hour, Kurt Baker. financing options available for residential real estate and the usual goods and services to look for when buying, refinancing, or making home improvements? Does it make sense to wait to purchase a home later and rent for now? Do you understand how the Federal Reserve's actions may impact short-term interest rates, the consumer rate environment, and viable alternatives to these drivers? Today, you will learn what questions to ask when looking into home financing, where the money comes from to buy, refinance, or improve a home, and what variables influence lenders to make sound decisions. With over 30 years of experience working in different banks in the Princeton region, John Gertica is a mortgage banking professional and the current co-chair of the Rutgers University Board of Equine Advancement, who will help you feel empowered and consumer confidence in the choices available. John, thanks for coming, sir. Oh, you're welcome, Kurt. It's great to be here. Man, it's awesome, man. It's been a little bit of a wild ride. So why don't we why don't we start like how it started? Thirty years. That's a long time. Yes. So were you the guy that had the abacus when you were in the crib, just like adding stuff up? It's funny you should ask. <laughs> I have an HP 12C calculator oh. that I've had for those thirty years. So yeah. I still use they still the work great calculator. too, don't they? They do. Great. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, and, and you mentioned uh, that uh, I'm involved with uh, Rutgers through yeah. their Equine Science Center. Um, it's kind of a divergence of of opportunity um, in the financial world to to bring that to uh, to that that role. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, but uh, yeah, horses and, and so how are the horse, uh, horses and mortgages? It's <laughs> like okay, I'm like trying to. I'm not really piecing that together exactly. Do you bring them in on a horse-drawn carriage? Is that what happens? Uh, the paperwork come across that way? <laughs> no, sir. We want it to happen much quicker. <laughs> okay. But uh, all right, that no, sounds good. I like that. Great, great. But yeah, so my role over the last thirty years has been basically at that sort of consumer level, retail, direct to uh, working with clients and kind of like the wheel of fortune i can't mention on air right. the, the my current employer but it's a, a brand name bank in the area that right. uh, does great work in this this type of uh, field but across all sort of financial services if you will but my expertise is on the lending side and i really like and enjoy uh, working with clients through that process Sometimes the process is real quick because somebody comes in, they contract in hand and say, I've already made the decision to purchase a home. Right. And I'm already approved through multiple people or I want to be approved through you real quickly. But other people need to get some education on it and get prepared for it. So we, it, it's fun to do both. And sometimes they're big ones. Sometimes they're small ones. Sometimes they're right here in our area. Sometimes they're in a different state because right. somebody's moving out or planning a project. 
Well, that's awesome. So, so thirty years you've been doing this. So, what what got you motivated? Because this is not this is one of those industries where you're, you don't typically. It's not like a firefighter or a policeman where you say, "Oh, that's what I'm going to be when I grow up one day." Right. So, right. Kind of, how did you get hooked into? Because I know everybody, at least a lot of the people I know in the business, is like once they get in, it's like you can't freaking get out. You like it too much. <laughs> it's like uh, well, there are those moments. Yeah. So, but other times you're like, oh, I don't know if I like this. But and there are those moments. So, uh, so what what was your initial in, uh, exposure to this and why did you say let me just give this a shot right well back in the day <laughs> when I got my start it, I was thinking of going to law school and uh, it was with a bunch of attorneys we were all in the softball league I won't say I was the ringer but I was playing on a, on a good softball team up in Essex County and a good friend of mine said John we don't need more attorneys um, <laughs> but if what you want is a career maybe you should talk to some friends of mine who are in this mortgage industry um, so he made the introduction and I was hooked from the start because every situation um, involves similar processes or similar discussions, but every situation is different based upon the client's needs. So you really get to know people through that process, some of whom I've known and we use a phrase and some people do in the financial industry, clients for life, mm -hmm. some clients um, you've known for years and it gets scary because now you're doing loans for their kids. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a little, I know you're, we're similar ages, like, oh, wow, this is interesting. Right. <laughs> so, um, but uh, so it, it, it is a people industry. Right. Um, and it's an industry that everyone at some point in their life goes through um, a thought process of saying, okay, well, housing is core to uh, my family and who I am and, and where I am. Uh, so being part of that discussion, whether it's the discussion about buying versus renting or whether it's no, we really want to buy, then leads into the discussion about how to prepare and what to look for and what to ask for. So how do you start that process? Somebody out there is like interested in, uh, especially right now, because we've had a big change in the market, let's just say sure. it uh, nicely. Um, and some people that were like ready to go, they're like, hmm. For one reason or another, especially on the buyer's side, the sellers are like, you know, they're they're like jumping for joy because they can just, you know, within a few days the house is gone or whatever the case may be. Whereas the buyers now, they might have been basically ready to go or thought they were ready to go, and all of a sudden they find out, wow, not only did interest rates essentially double, uh, but the price of the house has gone up significantly as well. So we start incorporating these different factors together, it becomes. Um, a little bit troublesome for somebody who was just getting ready to do something. All of a sudden, now it's out. Of, now they just can't quite grab what they're trying to grab, or they're looking for something significantly different than what they might have been looking for originally. Yeah, the headwinds that exist right now for a home buyer um, cross all those things that you just mentioned. So, um, I think the important thing is um, primarily understanding and then helping to define. The numbers, but understanding that this is a, a, a place in an area where you're going to be some time and that you understand that by committing to purchase a home, you're committing to making that a central part of your life. You know, we often look at the investment of buying a home and it's understandable. Um, but I think if you start with the commitment to say, this is where I'm going to live, this is where I want my family to live, and this home will be central to it. The numbers are the numbers, and yeah, right now there is a lack of supply in many, many markets, not just here in mm -hmm. the Mercer region, but also across the country. Um, and there are also this issue of, well, home prices have risen, and risen to a point where 
it's it's not affordable as it once was if I looked at this a year ago, mm-hmm. or for that matter, five years ago. So I, I think that the 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 main point starts with that commitment to doing it, and this and then and then the numbers follow. So having a realistic discussion about affordability, but we're also looking at the same affordability issues on the rental side. Uh, rents are rising too in many markets. So. Um, the great thing about the math is that it shows in conversation what can happen as a result of owning a home and the right home over a period of time. And yeah, there are those moments historically where home prices begin to go the other way. Oh yeah, I was here in 08 too. Right, <laughs> but I think the difference between now and 08 is that there was an oversupply to the degree that we can monitor um, how many homes are on the market and, and the absorption rates as they're described. Um, the difference between now and then was now there's there's a limited supply. The homes aren't being built and created at the level that they were being created leading up to 2008. Right. Yeah, because they're suffering from essentially what we'd call, I guess, generically the supply chain issue, right? Because they're not really ramped up like builders. I mean, I read a story a while back where new a new construction uh, subdivision was the they were closing the houses with plywood on the front of the garage doors because they were waiting six months to get the garage doors. So, so that, that's, is that still filtering out where these new houses, cause that's one of the, the, the solvers, right? Once you start adding more capacity then you're going to have more competition and then you, the buyers have some more choices. Sellers aren't quite in as much control. Do you see any of that starting to happen where maybe developers are like, Hey, you know, we just start get back out there again and build some new ones in some regions and in some States, not right. necessarily New Jersey because a, there's a, a lack of buildable space, uh, and B, the regulations for builders in New Jersey have driven some of the larger ones to places like Pennsylvania and even the Carolinas. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can look across the country and say, this is where the big builders are in these big projects. Okay, so so New Jersey, because we're the most densely populated state, so that kind of means we're running out of room. I know our the town I live in, um, I know it's all laid out, like they, they're done, right? There's no other place to go anymore. So you, if you want to build something, you're going to end up tearing something down, right? So that happens a lot more in a place like New Jersey than maybe Pennsylvania, where you've got too large city and a lot of empty space that's fairly rare, rural, right? With this, you know, a lot of capacity as far as land availability and things like that. So each region is a little differently. So how do people here um, start to prep, right? So you have to start somewhere. So what would you recommend, like some of the first steps, uh, now that we kind of know the market has definitely shifted, but People are definitely doing transactions. I think they're definitely happening. So. Right. And I think it's that awareness within the area that you want to purchase or that you may want to move. A, a, a realtor associate can be real helpful to say, look, based upon what you're telling me is important in what you want in a home, this is where you can find that. And there is a scope of housing available. I, I think we, we all have this vision of moving into the dream home. But I remember back in my day, starting out with my family, it was, well, this is a home that fits our needs now, but our needs may change. And those could change, I don't know, five, six, seven years later. And indeed they did. Mm-hmm. So the home that we had as our first home, actually it was our second home, right. uh, because we started with a townhouse, moved to a single family home, and then moved up to a larger home. So I, I think that that's where the partners that you choose can be real helpful because you can say, this is what we are seeking, and is it available right. now? Or when it becomes available, let us know because we want to move quickly. Got it. Well, that's awesome, uh, John. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Master Your Finances. Right. Whoop it out. Whoop it out. 
yeah, you've got loads of money, but it's all about how you manage it. Let's get back to learning how to grow your green with Kurt Baker of Certified Wealth Management and Investment, only on Master Your Finances. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finance. I'm here with um, John uh, Gerdica, and we're uh, talking about finance and getting ready for home. And as the market has changed, um, so must we as consumers, whether you're buying a home or you're selling it, you have to be kind of aware of that. Um, interest rates have gone up a little bit, uh, as but actually kind of more close to like the normal historic range, even though everybody's like, oh, this is really like high, high. Well, yeah, you know, five and a half, six percent is high if you're used to two and a half, three percent. But if you look historically, at least when I remember my mother standing in line to get 10.95% bond money, and she was ecstatic, right? And uh, nowadays, people are like, what do you mean 10.95? But back then, that was what you did. So this all can be worked through. Um, I mean, some of the things I've seen is uh, this product that we used to hear about a lot is starting to come back a little more, the ARM product, where you can do something a little differently. Um, so there's other things out there people, maybe people don't understand, but... Just let's start with the real basics, because I know there are people out there that were waiting during um, during the shutdown and they're like, hey, I want to go buy a house. But literally, you couldn't really show a house. You got a video tour and things like that. It was kind of hard to even get access at one point. But now things are opening up. Market's getting back to normal. People are starting to feel a little more confident. Their jobs are kind of rolling along. And so they're getting serious. That's one of the reasons I think the market has done what it's done. Um, but if you're if you're one of those ones that's prepping, what would you recommend? You know, a young couple or anybody that's uh, wants to move either from rental or move out of their parents' home or whatever the case may be, and go out on their own and own that piece of property, right? Correct. And I think that there's that ramp up to the education about home ownership, and everyone has a home ownership experience. Typically, parents get involved and start telling their kids, "Yeah, you should do this," or "Here are the things to look out to," and that's wonderful advice. Relatives will weigh in. Sometimes they'll help. Too. So people will, will know, okay, you're going to buy a home. You, you've got a cash need here. You're going to need right. a down payment and closing costs. And once you acquire that home, you may want to furnish it, fix it up a little bit, buy the new car. All those things that right. statistically have occurred as a result of the decision to buy a home. So being prepared for that is, is important. But um, we've noticed, and I think we can all speak to, uh, the fact that when you commit to doing that, it becomes a central part of your life including your family life. So it, um, it is something that is, is treasured as a result and you take care of it and it grows in, um, hopefully in value over time. And typically it has, we can look at appreciation rates and say, yeah, that's where a lot of people have built equity and built value over the years because they bought at a time in the market at X date. Right. And it increased in value over time. So we'll call that the appreciable rate. And yeah, if you look at rates of appreciation across the country, they've they've been at a higher level in the last few years than they typically do. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you know, ten percent's been a, a number that's floated around a lot. Ten percent right. appreciation in a year is, is a lot. Correct. But okay, maybe you know, maybe a more modest one is to, to look at to plan for the future is to three percent right. over time. So I, I think back to your question, preparing for the process involves uh, understanding your finances to say, well, how, what type of income do you receive? Uh, how is your credit? Do you have the assets to make this happen? Because you'll need a down payment. You'll need closing costs. And in some cases, you'll need reserves. You'll need, and you'll want to have them. Money's left over in your accounts. You're not emptying them out to buy this home. Right. So 
understanding those, then it becomes um, that discussion with a realtor to say, well, what about the sort of housing that's out there? We'll call it the collateral right. for the mortgage. Um, and that is that home. Is it reasonable to expect that we can find a home in this price point that can then dictate what your down payment is? And with these property taxes, this is what your monthly expense is going to be. So defining in advance of finding that home is my recommendation and many professionals because last thing you want to do is cross the threshold looking at homes, fall in love with something you want to buy and then realize, yeah, this is out of our price point mm -hmm. or um, I'm not ready to do this, um, but my heart is. I want to commit to this, but I'm not financially prepared to make this happen right. as it needs to happen right now at a very quick pace. Right, so a lot of times, I mean, people, like, in order to get ready for this process, they'll go in and kind of do a dry run where they get qualified ahead sure. of time. So now you go, okay, here's my income, right? So I mean, you've got a couple areas here, right? So you've got the one person who maybe works for a large Fortune 500 company. That's one person. Then you've got the other person, like, they just started up, uh, uh, you know, an online, uh, you know, they're self storefront and they're like, okay, well now what do I do? So do you want to give us a little bit of a you know, difference and maybe the different types of ways people would get income and how that even impacts them um, as far as uh, being able to, because first time homebuyers, you know, not through this, so there's a couple things. We'll start with the income part of it. So what should they do to kind of understand how their income works? Because some sure. people say, hey, I started this business. I'm doing really great. Uh, I'd like to go buy a house now. And so that may not be quite the time they can do it. Um, there's a little more that has to go into that. You want to kind of describe that process a little bit? Sure. My recommendation, and it's been one that's been a standard, is whether you're renting or purchasing, what is your income and how does it come to you? And are you spending more than maybe a quarter percent of your monthly income in housing or for housing. Right. Um, we can all look at and, and remember times in our own lives where, yeah, I was paying a little bit more for housing than I was bringing in. Um, I didn't have a lot of, of, of extra money left over at the end of the month, but I made it happen. Um, on the mortgage side, it's, it's an examination of that by ultimately an underwriter somewhere that says, okay, does the math work here? Right. Um, and the math can vary. It's not necessarily 25% of your monthly gross income, but what is your income? And that's part of the dialogue with any prospective home buyer is, well, here's where you are now. Mm -hmm. It will change over time. And hopefully, particularly with a younger um, borrower or younger borrowers, borrowers, plural, you can talk about their increases as a result of the job that they have. Well, there's discretionary income, bonuses or commissions. In the case of a self-employed borrower, it's not often a number that they can readily define. I mean, they know what they're bringing in, perhaps in right. cash, but uh, for banks and lenders, it's what's on the tax return and right. what's on the preceding two years worth of tax returns. So it can present some stumbling blocks for someone who's self-employed, that small business owner who is just starting out, who doesn't have that two years worth of tax returns. Right. Whereas somebody who just got the job offer out of college and has a salary that will commence on September 15th, right. uh, a lender can use that and say, well, okay, as of September 15th, we know what your salary is because it's part of the offer letter. So, so the math you, is easier to define. So if you get the offer, take the offer, buy the house, and then get the job. But not, not, not the next week, but well, <laughs> doing or, something self-employed right. if you want to. Or again, just prepare yourself for that time yeah. and moment where this is right for you right. and, um, and enter it in. So we, we talked earlier about that discussion. We can call that discussion a pre-qualification. Right. Uh, the next step would be the formal pre-approval where you're saying to the lender, okay, go ahead and pull my credit. 
Right. Let's look at this, on, and, and I want a more formal letter that I could use if I'm out actively home buying. Yeah, so you just said, well, now we pull the credit, we look at it. So what's the significance of actually taking a look at that? Because some people are like, I have no idea what's going on with my credit. Even nowadays where they have a lot of services where you can kind of see it yourself. That didn't used to be the case years ago. But um, So what, what are you looking for when somebody does that? What are the factors that are important when you look at that initially? Well, ultimately, an underwriter somewhere or a system backed by an underwriter um, is looking to see that this person has this sort of character based upon their credit. We'll define that oftentimes by credit score. So, uh, you know, I think anyone with a credit score below 620 is at a, at a point in their credit history where they ought to look at what's being reported um, to see if there are some things that they can do to up that score. Because right. otherwise, a lender can say, well, you don't meet the minimum credit score. Income's great, you have the assets, but you don't meet the minimum credit score. Right. Or you're limited to now to borrowing using this one type of loan that's been built for somebody who has credit scores below a certain level. So I think that understanding your credit is an important aspect to enter into the process of prequalification with. Um, and yeah, there are those services, but uh, there's also annualcreditreport.com. Any consumer can, uh, any of us can go online and get a copy of what has been reported in my name this year. Um, and I don't have to su subscribe to a service to get that. That's a um, yeah, it's the true free version, right? It's a true free version. Right. And as a result, you can see, well, hey, everything looks looks in order. I checked Credit Karma. My score seems to be in line. Or many of the banks where I have a credit card, or you know, will give me my score if I ask for it. My right. FICO scores. Right. Called. Yeah. Most apps now that if you have a credit card, it'll it'll give you that option. Would you like to know what your current score? Because they want it to be higher too. So. Uh, the bottom line is what you're saying. So basically, you know, for most programs, you want to be at least 620 or above. But even there, if you're a little, the higher you are, so to speak, on that scale, it, it affects the pricing a little bit. It affects some of the programming a little bit, right? So sure. the idea is you want to really kind of optimize that as best you can. And so what are some of the ways somebody kind of optimizes the credit report itself? Um, so basically, if you're you know, let's say I have a credit limit of, I don't know, $20,000 or something. So mm -hmm. what can I do with that if I'm, uh, I go, wow, I'm paying my payments on time, but, you know, let's say I owe like 15000 on that thing. So like, what, what could I do in that case to kind of maybe bring that score up a little bit if I want to try to help out with uh, buying the house? Well, there are companies and people who work for those companies that provide that type of advice. My um, experience has been, yeah, if you have a $20,000 line of credit and you owe 15000 even though you make that payment on time, your credit score is probably a little lower than it would be if your balance was reduced to maybe $5,000 right. on that card. Uh, so not only are you paying a higher rate every month in interest fees, mm -hmm. but yeah, your credit score isn't as high as it would be even though you pay on time and have had this credit card because you're maxed out or right. you're at a higher level of uh, of the balance that you um, yeah the utilization the ratio right so yeah you want to so you want to try to get that you know down a little bit so correct um, so what you can just you either pay it down or you can say hey Mr Bank or Miss Bank however you want to say it uh, instead of twenty thousand maybe I like to go to twenty five <laughs> at least well, to get my utilization rate but right. no, don't don't spend the money frankly I mean if you right. pay it down to five then it, then it's okay, you have two ways to kind of go at it which right. uh, might might help out a little bit. So um, and I think paying it down to five makes more sense, particularly absolutely. in a higher rate environment where you're being charged more in finance 
costs to maintain that balance at 15,000. So that would be my recommendation. Absolutely. Yeah. Take a look at this and get yourself prepared. Absolutely. Well, John, we're going to take another quick break. You're listening to Master Your Finances. We're not just doing this for money. We're doing it for a load of money. If you want to learn how to make and manage that kind of money, turn the volume up as we get back to Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker of Certified Wealth Management and Investment. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finance. I'm here with John uh, Gertica, and we're talking about financing and uh, buying a home right now and some of the options there. Uh, there's many people out there that have been kind of waiting. They want to rent. Uh, they had been renting, maybe, and they noticed their rent went up a little bit. So they're thinking, well, maybe I want to buy. And then they noticed they want to buy, and maybe the house went up, too. So it's a little bit frustrating, but there are some steps you can take. And we went over some of the basics of you know the income side of it, where basically, if you're self-employed, it takes usually about two years to get that all set up. If you're a self-employed, you just started a, a career that way. Or if you got out of college, you get a nice uh, job that pays a W-2, regular paycheck, then that might be a little quicker way to get qualified because they can use that right away because that's a, a stable form of income that they can rely on. It's, and as far as the credit, you want to make sure you got a good score and you want to get that utilization rate uh, down at something reasonable, which will help keep your score up higher. So once you kind of do that and uh, you know, don't take on extra debt unnecessarily, um, now you're ready from the income and the credit but of course, uh, you might need a little bit of money. And one of the things that I've uh, had, there's a common misunderstanding that I've come across is they think, you know, I need 25%, you know, the house to buy this thing, which is, uh, which is nice if you have it, but it's right. not necessarily true. If you have a very good, strong income, there are ways to kind of manage. So what do, you, what do you want to tell us a little bit about the asset side and how that impacts the mortgage itself? Great. So on the asset side, you need the cash to purchase of a, ho a home and you want that cash on deposit. So you want to be able to show your lender that, yes, this has been on deposit in my account or is coming to my account. And these are the sources from which right. it's coming. It could be a gift from a relative. It could be a grant. Um, so for many of the first time homebuyers um, in in many markets, but certainly in New Jersey, we'll, we'll be very specific. You, you could buy a home with as, min, as, as little as 3% down. Right. Um, so that is your initial equity contribution to the home. And we talked earlier about a home appreciating. So your home appreciation as well as the component of your payment that is reducing the mortgage mm -hmm. creates greater equity. So your initial equity is the down payment. That's 3%. Um, so, yeah, it would be wonderful if you could have a larger down payment because it means you're borrowing less and your equity in that home is greater. Um, but that may not be um, uh, and is in many cases the opportunity for many in the first time of buying a home. So they'll, they'll contribute that initial down payment and borrow 97% of the, the price of the home. Um, so you'll need closing costs. So you need right. to budget how much does it cost to hire an attorney to help me look at the contract and um, how much is it going to cost me to pay the title agent? Those are all things that a lender in advance of an actual mortgage application can walk somebody through and say, mm -hmm. well, this is, this is a budget and here's what it's going to look like, not only for the monthly mortgage payment, but in terms of that cash down payment. Assets, again, for the purchase need to be ultimately uh, brought to closing in a cash form so that the lender is going to look to see that that cash was on deposit in an account somewhere, whether it's, you know, a major bank or uh, maybe it's an investment account that is being uh, a portion of it's being uh, turned into cash liquidated from an equity position or a stock position. Or it could be the, as I said earlier, a, a check from a relative that's documented as a gift. 
Right. And when you said cash, and you kind of explained, I want to make sure people realize that that's not actual hundreds in, no. in a bag. No. You, ha- you have to actually be able to source the cash. Like, right. where did it come from? Which I'm glad you clarified, because uh, I know years ago when I was younger, you, <laughs> they literally, I remember talking to a title agent once, and she was like, yeah, they came in, they bought cash and and it would they sat down for like two hours and counted out like hundred dollar bills right. <laughs> it was like i was like i don't know this town's a little bit shady to me it doesn't well, sound good you can't do that stuff anymore right because they the, track all this stuff again and that's the anti-money laundering yeah good old aml very familiar with that all one right, good so we all get re- we're all watched yeah so yeah so you have to really source all this so right. the other things you point out that i think are really important is that sometimes think well i don't have you know all this money i need but right. You know, maybe you're you're fortunate, and the parents can help you out. Um, you know, relatives of some sort, and you also mentioned there are some people that qualify for different grant programs. Correct. You want to touch on a little bit, just like sure. what that means, what is the grant, and how does that kind of basically work? Well, as we're on Wheel of Fortune, I can't mention my employer's name, but we have a grant <laughs> program for first-time home buyers. If the um, buyer is qualified for that grant, right. it's it's a grant for three thousand. There's a grant okay. in some areas for up to seventy-five hundred. So that's coming through a lender, um, but it could also come through a county or the state. Um, if we look at New Jersey, there are many counties that have a grant program. Um, so looking at a county website and seeing if there is a housing program and if there is a specific grant program, going to the New Jersey state website, um, you can look up this type of material to say, well, the, does the, a grant program exist and am I qualified right. for it? So grants are one way to supplement the down payment. Um, another way is to also look at the deal. And in some markets at some times, you can say to a seller, well, I'll purchase your home for X number of dollars, but I need you to contribute $3,000, $5,000, $8,000 towards my closing costs. Right. So the day of closing, from the proceeds of the purchase, come funds through the seller to pay some of those closing costs. So there are ways to look at the budget and say, okay, if you can't meet it, then there are ways to supplement the cost of doing this so you can, with the money that you do have, purchase a home and here's how you could do it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so there's definitely ways to kind of work around. Uh, if you, you know, if you just don't like, if you don't feel like you have quite enough money, if you feel like your income is pretty strong, there are ways to kind of structure around that is really what we're getting to. And Correct. so- uh, it's important to understand there's some things out there that, that you might qualify for. So now we have our income and our credit's all set, our assets are good. Now we're going to go out and look at what we call the last piece, the collateral, right? The house or the uh, mm-hmm. condo or whatever it might be. Um, so you want to give some like thoughts about how that process works and what do they do, you know, as far as the, the actual property, as far as the lender side is concerned. I realize the realtor is going to walk them through and show them the house. But the lender has a viewpoint on that too. So, what are some things that maybe a lender is going to look for? The real is like, yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Or, you know, what do you, what do you want to kind of you know pay attention to when you when you look at the collateral itself? Sure. So, the collateral assessment or review for a lender will we'll call it an appraisal because that's what's ordered shortly after an application is made, and the lender sends out a third party licensed appraiser to look at the home. And typically that appraiser is determining a value based upon what is sold and closed in the last six months that's of similar style and size to the home in question. So effectively the appraiser is um, providing a market analysis of value. Now they will look at the home and obviously they're taking pictures for a lender, but they're not a licensed engineer and they say that, they, you know, look, I'm a, 
um, I'm appraising this home to value. So yeah. effectively, the lender is looking at that. Now, if the appraiser says, well, look in the picture, you can see there's shingles missing on the roof. Um, I noticed a crack in the foundation that was very visible, a water stain on the side of a room. Then effectively, a lender may say, well, we want to know more um, about this issue. Um, and I, I think it's, it's wise as a, as a buyer of a home to also look at um, getting um, uh, inspections of a home. Having right. hiring a licensed inspector or a licensed contractor to come out, an engineer, to look at the home and tell you, well, look, here's what I see as an engineer. I see a you know, 10-year-old water heater. Right. Um, the expected life of a water heater might be 15 years. So sometime in the next five years, you might have the expense of replacing this. Or, hey, I noticed the water stain, but it looks like what caused the water has been repaired and replaced. So hiring a licensed engineer early on as a home buyer is a wise decision because then you know what you're buying and you know effectively some of the maintenance issues you may have. I've seen cases where um, you know someone's buying an older home and uh, they'll see knob and tube wiring. So effectively, you know, that's a major um, township issue in many townships because it's a safety issue. And lenders are concerned about the health and safety of their new um, homeowner right. who's paying this mortgage. So th they'll look at the appraisal to see if there's any sign of that and ask the borrower perhaps for an engineer's report because the engineer's report will often pick that sort of defect up and say, yeah, this needs to be repaired, replaced, or removed. Yeah, so you bring up some very important points, I think, is that, one, the appraisal is being done, in this case, for the benefit of the lender because they want to know that the house is in, in good shape from a health and safety perspective because they, they have a vested interest in this. If they're sure. lending you 97% of the value of this house, they want to know that, one, you, you move in and you can actually live there and it's safe for you to live there. Right. Uh, and the collateral really does have the valuation because there's not some major foundation issue where it's going to have to be rectified where the house may literally collapse or something like that or a moisture issue or, or those shingles, things like that. So these are important things for them. But uh, to, to step a little further, you said that you have the home inspector, which really kind of digs deeper. The appraiser's not going to go in and, and really um, – criticize quite as much, you know, the age of the heater He's, other than... He or she's not going to go into the crawl spaces or up correct. into the attic. They may take some pictures, but yeah, an engineer is is looking at the home from top to bottom. Yeah, yeah. people are amazed at how fast an appraiser goes through that because they usually do their work on this. They do the work up front. They get the data and they walk in. Yep, everything looks fine. I'm walking out. I don't see anything visibly wrong with it. Um, so, and they're pretty much happy with it. Whereas the home inspector does a much deeper dive into the house. You know, they'll check the water pressure. They'll check, you know, the, the, new, you know, the, the actual... You know, um, set. You know, they'll just go through everything. You know, the windows, everything work, and all that kind of good stuff. Whereas, um, so from a just from an understanding standpoint, as you point out, even if it, you don't get a negotiation from the, the seller and they don't pay for it, at least you know, hey, I have to start budgeting Correct. for this roof is going to need to be replaced in like four or five years, and this is going to need to be done, and I need to, you know, the water heater. So even if it's, it, you need to understand what you're getting into because when you're renting. You just make a phone call and hopefully your landlord's good right. and they just come out and take care of it. Whereas if you're a homeowner, you, you, you own it, you, you definitely own it. And for right. good or bad, you're going to have to go out and take care of that. Right. right? And every home has something that's going to need to be fixed or replaced at some point in its future. So understanding that and talking to the professionals involved, um, your attorney, the engineer, your realtor and your lender can give you the information you need to, to say, 
I'm still okay with this. And yeah, I get it. I'm going to have some expenses in the future that I need to have reserves for um, or be prepared to put into my budget so that, yeah, next year the project is. Right. Excellent, John. All right, we're going to take another quick break. You're listening to Master Your Finances. Do you want to prevent this from happening to you? And it's gone. It's all gone. Listen closely as we now return to Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker of Certified Wealth Management and Investment. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I'm here with John Gertica, and we're talking about finances. We just got through the major four points, right? Income, uh, credit, assets, and collateral. So if all that works out, you're happy a new homeowner, right? So... Um, but there's different scenarios out there, let's say, and you want to tell us maybe some of these stories. Like, let's say I go see a house. I think it's kind of okay, but might need a little, like what we call tender loving care, which probably means the house is leaning a little bit to the left and you might have to like prop it up. Uh, usually TLC is code for bring your hammer and your saw and your uh, tool belt. Cause you're going to have some work to do. In here. Yeah, <laughs> so. it, it is a charming house located in Ewing, New Jersey. I love right? realtors. They're so funny. They're like, Wait a minute. Wait, wait. What you said? What I'm looking at don't sound the same right. to me. The so. Pictures look great, <laughs> right? So, so what is? Because you know, that that's a definitely a scenario now. Because if somebody is right. trying to save some money, and you're looking at a house, um, and you're like, look, I'll take it with a few dings and dents, uh, knowing that I have to do some work to it. Now, there's different levels of work. So you want to speak to that a little bit, because then you say, well, I can spread this money out over time. At least I have my house now, because um, I can live with it with the way it sits currently. Or there's other scenarios where it's a little more. Uh, difficult. You can't really move in. The house is in pretty rough shape. So just describe some of these scenarios and some experiences you've had. Well, um, I can describe an experience in the last two years. We had a couple moving up to take a job at a university, and they were um, moving from the southern state in a home that um, they were moving out of was newer. And they were looking at the housing stock in this area saying, we can't find the equivalent house here. But what they did find was a house they could acquire for um, a, a, a decent sum, but it was in the area that they wanted to buy. And they just said, look, we're going to acquire this home, but you know, we're probably going to tear it down and build a new one. Right. Um, so that was helpful advice. And as a result, we were able to structure the financing for the acquisition of the home because many sellers will say, well, I'm not going to wait six months while you find a builder and get your plans and specifications and all the materials needed to build a home ready. I want to sell a home now. And right. it's, it is habitable. It's, it's fine. And they were right. So what we did was we helped the client acquire the home um, and acquire the home with, yes, a down payment, their equity, which they would retain, but uh, with minimal costs for that loan other than the carrying costs, right. the monthly interest rate. Um, so that in two or three months when they did have their plan specifications and builder selected, we could then commence with a construction to permanent loan, which is a mortgage. Um, and it, it is a format where you close and then the work commences. And the work could take 12 months, 15 months, or 18 months, however long it takes. Um, but we try and predefine that in the discussion with that homeowner and their builder to say, all right, if it's going to, if you think it's going to take 12 months, maybe we've got a plan for 15. Right. That's um, typically what happens. Right. <laughs> so that we can help you um, redo the financing. Yes, but build the home that you want to build. So that's one um, story, if you will, one um, uh, scenario where a home buyer says, yeah, I, I, I like this home, but. I also have a dream of a different home. And yeah, uh, we put together some options for them to make that happen. 
on the finance side. So we do construction lending, um, and that's done um, by some of the larger lenders, and I'm with one. Right. Um, and it's not just done in this market. I have a client who recently um, purchased in the Virginia area, and her purchase was of a lot, <laughs> but it was with the developer of uh, and builder who um, are putting together a neighborhood, and she is buying into that neighborhood. She's building a house as we speak. Yeah, it will take the next 12 months. We'll be dispersing funds over the next 12 months. And we can predict, because it's the same interest rate, we, we, she's locked in. Right. We know what her permanent interest rate is. We can predict what that permanent payment is for that loan. She has the ability to influence that because she could always reduce what she's ultimately taking out from us because she's drawing every month and it's cumulatively adding up to what will be her permanent mortgage 11, 12 months from now. Right. So those sorts of situations and, and options exist for home buyers um, in this market and in others where you could buy a home and um, renovate it to a full extent. Uh, for homeowners that own a property now, there may be say, people saying, well, look, I'd sell my home, but I can't find the equivalent to what I want in the market. So I, I don't want to sell my home and then be homeless. No, definitely um, not. But hey, we really do like this home. Perhaps there's a way for us to talk to a builder or a realtor to say, if I made these types of improvements to this home, knocked down the wall, built a second floor, blew out the back of the house, expanded the kitchen, what value would that create in the collateral? What value would that mean for us? Because it's something, again, that is important to our lifestyle because we need a bigger kitchen. And yeah, come to think of it, we could use a, another bedroom and bathroom. So as, as we look at that, we can also use that similar product, if you will, for that situation. But it could also um, perhaps be a home equity line of credit that could be used for that type of renovation. So that conversation with the lender is important um, at the early stages for um, any homeowner if their plans are, hey, we, we may consider this, what's this going to look like? And we can walk them through a variety of choices that they may have to make that happen. So that's, uh, that's happened, um, and that's part of, I think, a role of any mortgage loan officer and bank in the area is to say, right. well, what is it that you want to do, and how can we help you get there? Um, some of the other situations that I think we've seen and we were talking about earlier were first-time homebuyers. Right. Um, and we have one situation now with a client. Actually, it's a father and son. They want to buy a home together. It's their first home. They've been renting. And, yeah, they're paying about $1,800 a month in rent. Wow. Where we do the analysis, and this wasn't their reason for purchasing, but we do the math and say, well, you could end up with a mortgage payment that's, call it $2,000 a month, slightly higher than you're paying in rent. But of that $2,000, there's a couple hundred dollars paying down principal, as I said earlier, building equity in the home that you own. So not only is your home increasing in value over time, and it's your home, but you're also reducing what you owe which right. increases the equity. And Rent doesn't pay down very fast. No. Rent pays down very fast. And you get a tax benefit, which sometimes people forget about. The rent, the more rent, you don't get a tax benefit. So depending on their tax bracket, they may actually net a little bit more money at the end of the year. Correct. Depending on what the differential is, right? Correct. Yeah. So um, this um, father and son tandem, yeah, had some, some nest egg money, which was great. But we said, we can minimize your down payment to 3% if you prefer. You can put more down if you want. And again, you look at the math and say, 
okay, for every $1,000 that I put down or $1,000 that I borrow, it's going to save me or cost me, you know, six bucks a month uh, more. So right. you, there's a, you can assign the math to it and say, how can we help you acquire this home, retain some of your assets using the grant program that's out there? Um, and take advantage of some of the specialized lending programs. Um, and again, some of those programs the general public can look up on uh, it, the New Jersey has the mortgage and finance agency. So the MJMFA is a great resource for potential home buyers to look at because they have a mortgage program too, but they also have a grant program. Mm -hmm. And those grants are available and they'll list some of the criteria that are needed for buyers because they're not available to someone buying a home to then rent it or someone who owns multiple homes, it's a program designed for first-time home buyers. So there are some advantages to being in that category, um, and many lenders really wanna help um, defray some of the um, expenses for a first-time home buyer to help them get into a market that otherwise, yeah, some people say, well, you need 20, 25% as a down payment. Now you hear the term for first-time home buyer, if you, wanna, if you wouldn't mind defining for everybody, because sometimes sure. somebody like, let's say I own a home, and like, let's say I had to sell it, in 2018, and I didn't buy anything. I ended up renting uh, when I moved to the area, and the pandemic hit. I wasn't able to buy something. Then I went back out. Let's say several years later, like three, four years later. So what am I? What What are they going to think of me? Because I've owned a home before. I'm not really a first time home buyer. If you want to like look back at my history, but I haven't actually owned a home in a few years. So what does the bank think about that? Few years is the important right. time period. So it's a three year look back to say, yeah, you haven't owned a home in the last three years. Or you may have been in a relationship with a spouse that ended. So as a result of you buying for the first time on your own, you are a first-time homebuyer. So that's one way to, or a couple of ways to define a first-time homebuyer for somebody who may have owned a home in the past or been part of home ownership in the past. Um, so uh, the first-time homebuyer programs are certainly something to explore for people who have been involved in situations like that. Right. So this this has been pretty awesome, man. You want to like give us uh, some last thoughts here? We got about a minute left here. You want to give us some last thoughts about what people should really be focused on when they're thinking about either buying or refinancing a home? What are the key points? Well, I think the key points are to educate yourself. Uh, what is available and where? And what are my best options based upon um, not only those numbers, but also the people that I'm involving? Um, your lender, um, your, um, your realtor. These are partners in that process. And they want to be partners not just for the short-term transaction. Most of them want to be partners for life, as I mentioned early on. We want to help you uh, because, yeah, becoming part of the community, being a homeowner, means a lot for, for the community around you as well. Not just you, but the people that you're, you're, who will be your neighbors. That, you know, that they want people who are, uh, that care about their homes, and, and you are one of those people. So let's, let's help you make it happen by uh, walking you down through these numbers and these options that you have as you prepare. Awesome, John. Really appreciate it. That was a great walk down uh, financing your home. Uh, a lot of options out there, and I appreciate coming and sharing with us. You're listening to Master Your Finances. Uh, have a great day. That's all for today's episode of Master Your Finances. Miss Kurt Baker's biggest money managing tip or even a full episode? Head on over to MasterYourFinances.us or 1077thebronc.com slash MasterYourFinances. Look for Master Your Finances on Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time only on 1077 The Bronx.